like we've seen it some years after that our customers left us because we were not innovative. Um, we didn't think ahead, so we were just like doing good work, and that's not enough. I think that's where I said, okay, it needs change. Also, like it was like taking a lot of my energy, like working in this management team, and and that's where I said like let's let's go and let's try to get females in. Let's try to get people from a different background in. Let's try to get people in who just think differently and like also like to take risks. And that's where I started the journey. And this is a journey I started like 15 years ago. I'm still on it. I uh, learned that I, like, if I don't push for it, it will not happen. You're listening to Transform Talks, a podcast about global supply chain transformation. I'm Maria Villablanca, co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, a fast-growing network of over 130,000 supply chain and manufacturing executives worldwide. Now on this show, I'm going to be interviewing and having conversations with some of the biggest names in supply chain and business, where we're going to be discussing topics around digitization, transformation, leadership, technology, business models, diversity, sustainability, and much, much more. Welcome back to Transform Talks. This week, my guest is Sabine Mueller. Sabine is the CEO and EVP at DHL Consulting, which is an independent management consultancy dedicated to creating value for Deutsche Post DHL Group, its customers, and external companies. Sabine has spent the past 20 years helping supply chain leaders navigate the changes created by digital transformation, the impact of emerging technologies, new work models, and the need to operate sustainably. She also works tirelessly to help female leaders succeed by promoting more diversity and inclusion in management teams. And I have to say it was a real privilege to sit down with Sabine, because there are a lot of people who talk a good game when it comes to diversity, but there are very few who've actually done as much as Sabine has to further the cause. It's for this reason that I'm delighted to have her on the show. As for what we discussed, well, during our conversation, Sabine and I spoke about the best way to promote diversity in the workforce, why change needs to come from the top, and the role AI will be playing in implementing some of these forward-thinking ideas. I hope you enjoy. Hello, Sabine. Welcome to Transform Talks. Hey. Hi, Maria. Great to be here. Yes, I'm, I'm excited to, to have a chat with you because you've done quite a lot, and we're going to get into all of this in a, in a second. But I understand that you and I have something in common. You are a dog lover. Is that right? Yes, that's right. I have two dogs. Nice. What type of dogs are they? Uh, they are uh, Benise Mountain Dogs. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I have four dogs. I have four wow. dogs now. Yeah. What, what, I, what breed? Well, they're, they're all rescues. Um, one of them is a rescue from Romania. Another one is a rescue from the States. And she is, well, so the Romanian rescue is a bit of everything, but a more German Shepherd type dog. The uh, American one is a German Shepherd slash Labrador with a bit of husky. And then the last two that I just got that are puppies are Labradoodles. So uh, mixtures of Labrador. And so my house is chaos right now. I can understand. I, I thought two is enough. <laughs> I always wanted one puppy, but I, I made the mistake of going in to talk to the uh, rescue, and there was several little puppies, and I was like, and one of them just wanted me to take her home, and I was like, oh, no, I have to walk away. Anyway, I walked away with two, and uh, it's I like to say to people, it feel like I have 
two squirrels in my house. That's what it's like. I feel like I've let loose two squirrels in my house. They are running around everywhere, destroying everything you can think of. So exciting times for me. <laughs> I can understand. I have one puppy. Oh, you have a puppy as well. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, he's like five months, but I think 30 kilos already. So doesn't look like a puppy, but it's still one. So I love talking to someone who has similar things to, you know, in terms of the uh, uh, similar interests as I have. But I want to hear more about what you've been doing with regards to diversity, because I know it's something that you're very passionate about in terms of um, DE&I in your organization. And a lot of people talk about it, but I want to hear a little bit more about your experience with this and how some of the changes that you've implemented within the organization have panned out and how things are working for you. So I, I do think to answer this question, I have to go back like 15, 16, 16, 17 years. So when I took over DHR Consulting, I came into an organization and I had a partner group and um, the partner group was German. I, I think I had six partners, uh, like consulting partners, and they were all male. And the organization like was the same. So we had some few females and like I think we had two non-German employees. And uh, I was... I think it was hard. Um, so I came in, I had a lot of ideas because like I'm a person like like having a lot of creative ideas, like to talk to people. And then I was in the meetings and said, no, we tried this. No, will not work. We don't need to change, but like that's not the problem. Sabine, relax. So like whatever I had, they were on the same, like they had the same thought. They always said no. So I was like thinking there was a wall a wall of people is like, eh, say, just like leave us alone. So I had an organization, not that I don't like to work with them because I, I grew up in a men's organization, so it was fine. However, we just didn't change anything at that time. And they were just so reluctant to, to um, do something different. And I think like we've seen it some years after that our customers left us because we were not innovative um, we didn't think ahead, so we were just like doing good work, and that's not enough. I think that's where I said, okay, it needs change. Also, like it was like taking a lot of my energy, like working in this management team, and and that's where I said, like let's let's go and let's try to get females in. Let's try to get people from a different background in. Let's try to get people in who just think differently and like also like to take risks. And that's where I started the journey. And this is a journey I started like 15 years ago. I'm still on it. I uh, learned that I, like, if I don't push for it, it will not happen. You know, everything that you've just been saying, I've been thinking a million questions at once. I'll tell you why. I go to a lot of conferences and I speak to a lot of people. And I get a lot of people asking me questions and help, advice. And, you know, the majority of questions I, I get are not about how do I make transformation work? Because that's what I talk about, transformation in the supply chain, et cetera. It's, the majority of questions are, Maria, I buy into transformation, sustainability, all these great ideas, but I keep getting no. I keep getting people saying no to me. So what advice would you give? Because you were there, and I've been there as a woman in this space, and uh, you know, a woman who started her career a long time ago. Things are very different. What advice would you give to people who buy into doing things in a different way, but you're stuck in a business that is just no, no, no? 
So I do think one is really drive diversity and I hope that we are in 2023 like a little bit ahead and don't have to argue why we do it. So then, then go to the question how to do it. And I, I would advise do your figures. Like how many people do you have? What's your attrition? How many people do you hire? How many applications do you get? Like how? what's the percentage of the applications who are like maybe not the nationality of the country you are in? Like what are the female percentage? Things like this. And like that's what we did. And we found out like 15% of the applications we had were female. And that's not a lot. And then we found out after they went through our recruiting process, we had 5% females left. So oops. So, and I, I do think like a lot of things where we started to make the numbers and we said, oh, like there is something wrong. And, and that's where we, how we tackled it. So I do a lot on female empowerment as well to attract females to get the 15% cut. So like whenever there's a job post, like get 40, 50% female application, second, first one. Second one, don't have a bias in like how you like look at people like the exercises you ask them don't be like i don't know like be biased towards extroverted people or like people who are loud don't be biased in terms of whom you send as recruits so that's what we have also seen if you send four male in you get like mini me's out of it out of a process so if you don't have a diverse interview pool you might not get a diverse uh, candidate pool out of it yeah and like look at each of the steps and keep pushing for it you said something there about biases, and I totally am with you there. I know I've been guilty of biases where, because I'm usually pretty loud and, and pretty vocal and, and, and very strong because I've had to fight for quite a lot within my career, I tended to, in the past, promote. I noticed that I was promoting people that were similar to me, you know, people that were very vocal about their successes. And this was probably about 10, 15 years ago. And then I realized that I was part of the problem, that really I needed to stop promoting people like me and think about the quieter people in the room and, and create the kind of environment that helps them thrive as opposed to just calling them out because it makes them uncomfortable. So do you think that having a diverse group of people that are different to us is a way to work through innovation, transformation, as well as crisis? Yes, because I do think like these teams are more difficult to lead so it's much so for me it was much easier to have this like very unique group where everyone was the same because i knew how they function and if i wasn't disagreeing with them it worked well so we had a lot of like very very easy meetings so as you get diversity in and as as you said as you get extroverted introverted people in it's much more difficult to lead the team because you have to like get the extroverted like taking them back you need to get the introverted like speaking up so there's a lot of moderation and a lot of team building um like really necessary to have a very effective team but at the end of the day they are like they come up with cool stuff because the people are different and if you have different people some of them really like to read and like skill themselves up others are very easy to talk and network with other people and if you put it together it's a powerful team so Yes, I agree. It's difficult, but I do think it makes a hell of a lot of sense. Well, also, the world has changed quite a lot, hasn't it? And we're dealing with problems upon problems that were not here five years ago, ten years ago. So it's going to require a bit of different thinking. And sometimes that different thinking is coming from people that are different to us, right? 
I love the fact that you are someone who not just talks about it, but you also are someone that walks the walk, as they say. Because I also know that embracing change is another topic that you're very passionate about. Uh, you make that very clear in your LinkedIn profile in which you say, and I quote, I believe that when you resist change, you throw away opportunity, which I love that, by the way. And uh, a few years ago, you decided to redesign your office building. And a part of that redesign meant that you uh, gave up your own personal office space, which shows how committed you are to the idea of embracing change. So for companies who want to demonstrate that they're willing to be open-minded, how important is it for that mindset to be adopted, for that mindset to be adopted by, you know, the senior management team before anyone else? So I do think senior managers role model and everybody looks up to them. And if I don't change, how can I ask my people to change? And I do think we've seen it in so many like different areas. For example, the office, it was a biggest discussion was with my management team because they also had to, had to give up their offices. And so like no one has an office anymore. And this was like really hard for them because it was status. like size of the office, size of the car in a big company, that's status. The more important you get, the bigger the car, the bigger the office. So it was really hard for them. And that was the biggest problem in the change, not for the people, but for, for my management team. Um, same for, like, even before COVID, we said we would like to offer home office. And I also pushed my like management team to work from home, home and myself as well. So I worked for 20 years, like getting up in the morning, going to the office, coming back at night. So like this was normal to me. For me, there was no need to stay home. So it was also for me to push myself to try it out and not be in the office and as well not manage like I did, like going around and saying like, I have a great idea. I, first person I see, I like reflected with, but maybe as well, like, call someone who's not in the office. So I had to change and my management team hasn't changed because otherwise you will not change a culture. And how did that how did that work? How did it go down? Did you get resistance? Yeah, I, I think for each of the changes you get resistance, but it's just a matter of time. And today nobody talks about office. I think everyone would say like, I'm home office, that's weird. So I do think people get used to change quickly and um, yeah I think communication is very important to get everyone like into it and um, yeah and the, like what we always do is like trust trusting the people like taking their feedback and yeah maybe sometimes as well adjusting and working with people like you say I think communication skills are going to be something that's really important I go back to my earlier question when I talked about people that feel very stuck uh, with the no-sayers, right? The naysayers, the no, no, we tried that, no, no, no. And the advice I give to people is, first of all, stop seeing yourself as a victim with regards to uh, different types of things that you feel are not going your way and start figuring out whether or not your communication process is demonstrating value on the ideas that you have, right? So change for change's sake is not necessarily good but change that adds value. And if you communicate that, that should be an effective way. Now, if then you still don't get anywhere and it doesn't, and the company you're at doesn't align with what you're looking for, then look somewhere else, right? And that's what happened as well. Some people left us and this is like how it works. Like if I don't agree with the strategy, if I don't agree with the change, just I look need to go and find something where it's even like maybe things are going differently and that's fine. Because like you don't, 
like if you are not happy, like you don't also do good work. Yeah. Correct. And and it's important that you're happy in order to do some good work. Now I'm conscious of the time, and I know that we've got quite a lot to cover. But I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about data for a second. I know that uh, as of a few months ago, you started working as the head of data and analytics at DHL's data and analytics service line. So I'm curious, what have you learned so far uh, since starting that role and that you didn't know before, and has it changed the way that you view the subject area? So I, I worked with data before. So because DHL Consulting, we had our own data analytics team. It's now merged with a bigger team. The whole thing is bigger. However, we have seen the importance for the DHL group on data, and it was part of our strategy 2025. So we launched our strategy 2025 and 2020 and said, like, we would like to get savings from 1.5 billion out of data and digitization. So this group, together as well with the consulting project, like, is the group that helps to, to get the savings. And this is through, like, use of data. This is also through digitalization. And we had some of the things in the consulting projects. However, what I've seen now with the new unit is the end-to-end -end process. So as a consultant, you go in, you do, like, a pilot. You say, wow, this model works. So you now roll it out. And the new service line, they really do it end-to-end. -end. They would implement the model. They would run it. They run the data lake. So it's like an end-to-end -end, um, how you treat data and how you treat models and data. So yeah. So that is what I learned, that it's much more than coming up with a good idea. And um, yeah, also the implementation. So there is a good model. If it's not implemented in the supply chain processes or in our ops processes, it's fine to have a good prediction. If you don't adapt the number of people you have or whatever, the good model, nobody uses it. So there's like always paths ahead. And like the power is if you go like from the consulting bit, then have the data bit, and then go back and like manage the change and really get the people use the model. I think there's a lot to break down to unpack here. And what I, what I like about what you said is having a deep understanding about data is a way to become a data-driven leader. It's not just about saying that you're interested in data and having people work on it over there. It's diving deep into the, the way that data works within an organization or the impact that it has. And then having, for you, the, the consulting side, the data side, and now leading the change management side of things is almost the best way to approach it, in my view. Yeah, that's right. And, and I, I do think the biggest challenge is really rolling out models like globally and as well getting the people to trust the data so we example have data who um, predict volume and like out of the volume they can give you an, an advice how many people you need for your next shift however the most difficult one is get the shift managers trust the model and not their guts because they worked on guts like for many many years and like i need 10 people if I only have six with the model says, like, I might miss four. So this is an immense process. I do think there are a lot of people who are very good in data and doing the models. We as managers really need to see that we drive the changes in the processes and like either help the people to use the model or sometimes some of the like work is no longer necessary because that's done by a model. So we need to re-employ, retrain our people to, to make the change happen, to drive innovation, to get the costs out, yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's true. Now, I want to shift gears again and talk about AI because everywhere you look, you look under a rock these days and there's someone doing AI. Uh, everything is powered by AI these days, so which is which is good, you know, with, but from what you know about AI, do you think it's going to provide the ideal platform to implement some of the, you know, forward-thinking ideas that we've discussed today? Or or do you think there's a danger that it's merely going to reinforce the existing modes of thinking? I don't think that AI is new. Yeah, I think it's currently it's in. So there's always a topic like everyone talks about. It was a metaverse. Now it's generative AI. So there's nothing new about AI. Yeah, so we do use machine learning models, we do use predictions since many, many years. Yeah? So it's it's not a trend and it's not new. However, with these pre-trained models like generative AI, things are getting much quicker. So training a model is quicker, getting data out is much quicker, and you, we additionally save costs with a like accuracy which is still okay for some of the problems we have. So it's just like new technology, a little bit adaptive technology, like giving us a huge opportunity. I think that that's the first thing. Problem with this pre-trained model is that they are pre-trained on data that is that has biases. And I, before we had the call, I checked because when we started in November last year, when I started in November last year to play around with, um, with ChatGTP, I was just asking ChatGTP because it was in another there was like somebody wants to know what are like what uh, what CEOs what is CEO likes to do in in, in uh, the free time and I typed it in and ChatGTP said okay CEO is a he and then he said he likes to play golf he likes to he likes cars so it was like really on like a CEO needs to be male and here are the hobbies so I tried it again yesterday and that's better. So like it's already adapted. So some of the problems that were in at the beginning, we're starting to get out of it. However, like if you train with biased data, you get the biases in there. However, I do think we just need to train the models better and better. I think that is that is one mode. We need to really reduce the biases and we need to facilitate diversity. And um, as well that the AI makes up facts. So that was as well something. Yeah? So if I ask like who's the CEO of DHL Consulting, I got different names, but never mind. So like things like this, yeah. So I believe in the power of the models. I do think that's just like it needs time, it needs a lot of training, it needs all of us who use them to be aware of it and to not take it for granted. So I always tell my consultants, like, don't stop training. Yeah, this is like, don't stop. Like, maybe you think first, then you ask AI, and then you think again. Yeah, so like, goes hand in hand. Don't stop thinking. I love that. I've got a bit of an anecdote. When I first started into my first business class in university, you know, a million years ago, I remember taking an accounting class, which I did not like, but the professor forbade us to have calculators. And we were not allowed to bring in any kind of calculators. Imagine how old I am that this is now bringing, you know, calculators, not even phones, but anyway. And he said to us, he said, if you can do accounting without a calculator, trust me, you're going to be able to get an, a complete in-depth understanding and feel and appreciation for the numbers, as opposed to just letting the data guide you, letting the, the numbers and the calculator guide you think through it. Now, I did not like accounting. I never went into accounting, but that 
lesson lived with me for a long time, that is if you can really learn to do something and think that the machinery is there to support you, not to replace you, right? It's not there to give you the answers. It's there to give you something that you then interpret. So I love what you said there with regards to don't stop thinking. I really love that. Oh, there's your dog. I can see it. Yeah. It's a shame that this is an audio an audio one. There, there's the dog. I love it. So that's Tessie. Oh. That's uh, my four-year-old. She's lovely. So we've reached, unfortunately, the end of the uh, of the show, but I want to ask you a question that I ask everybody, um, and that's with regards to a book. If you can recommend a book, anything that's made an impact on your life, whether personal or professional, that would be great. I have one that made an impact very early on me, and that was Pippi Longstocking. Also, going back, like, now trained on biases, I'm not sure if it's a good one, but, like, at that time, I really liked it. And uh, what I took from Pippi was the courage she has, not no fear. So I always like to read the books and take it as a as a like opportunity as well for for women because I'm also a little bit older and I've grown up in a very in an, in an environment that has a really like clear role models. These are females and these are males. Um, so I liked that she was like teached me like I can achieve everything I want in a playful way so that's one and the other one I always like is Harari like 21 lessons for the 21st century that's that's the one like really like making me think also like that the world is changing that there can be different perspective on the same topic so like sometimes you're like I've never thought about this this way. Yeah, never. I always thought this is green. Now, like, I look at it from the different way. It can also be red. So I do think he makes me thinking. He makes me thinking about the world, but also, like, the challenges we face and societies face. And I think it also helps to think out of the box. So sometimes I also use it in the job and said, okay, let's let's try to just stop here and now like we all like go back and like try to think differently. And sometimes it it helps if like there's a team and they're all stuck in something. Yeah. I love that. I and, and you know what I've taken the most out of this is well, first of all, the fact that you are a woman of action. And I love that. I love people that actually embrace what they talk about and, and create action from it. But secondly, it's the whole idea that thinking. And we cannot overestimate the power of our own ability to think through things, to look at things differently. It is a complex and ambiguous world, as we all know. And having our ability to think is, one, is a superpower. So I applaud you for that. Sabine, I want to thank you for being here on Transform Talks. And hopefully we'll meet in person soon. Yeah, thank you so much. I think it was the quickest 20 minutes in my life. I really enjoyed it. So thank you so much. And yeah, I really hope to see you in person. So that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. I do hope you gained some valuable insight from this week's episode. To stay up to date with the latest developments, be sure to follow us on LinkedIn at Transform Talks. Also, if you don't already follow me on LinkedIn, please do so now. I'm always keen to connect with supply chain and business leaders from around the world. You can find me by searching for Maria P. Villablanca. And if you're lucky, I may let you know what the P in my name stands for. In the meantime, wishing you a great week ahead. And as always, for those of you listening, I'll catch you at the next one.